0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Alan Gelb. Alan is the author of Seven Steps to Confident Writing, as well as the best-selling book, Conquering the College Admissions Essay in 10 Steps. He's a writing coach and communications consultant for higher education, and his writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Daily Beast, and many other publications. Thank you for being here on the podcast, Alan. It's great to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me, Ursula.
0: So how important is... Writing is a skill for business people, for entrepreneurs, and I, you know, this may sound like a, a dumb question, but I think that uh, people don't, who aren't writers, don't necessarily think about it in the same way that writers do. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you about that because your book is mainly for non-writers.
1: That's correct. Uh, well, I would say it is hugely important uh, because writing is all about communication, and if we're not writing well, we are falling down on the communication communication front. Uh, of course, when we communicate, the first thing we want to do is to get a certain kind of message across. Secondly, we want to show that we are articulate, that we care about exactitude. Uh, I got a, a fundraising uh, solicitation um, not too long ago from my alma mater, which is Johns Hopkins, and um, right in the first paragraph, there were uh, there was a typo, you know. Oh, wow. And uh, maybe not everybody sees that kind of thing. I'm certainly sensitive to it, mm-hmm. but probably a lot of people saw it, and you know, they immediately get an impression that you know something's not right on this ship.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. I I think. Um, I, I mean, I've been intensively involved in writing for most of my professional career. and so I notice stuff like that and I share grammar jokes on Facebook so I would totally notice something like that. Exactly. <laughs> so how do you help people write if they think they either hate it or they can't do it? I, I know so many capable people who are actually good writers, but they don't enjoy the process.
1: Sure. So if I may take a moment to put this new book, Seven Steps uh, to Confident Writing, in the context of the work I've been doing over the past close to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. In 2008, I published a book called Conquering in the College Admissions Essay in 10 Steps, which has been very popular and is now in its third edition. And every year I work with um, a bunch of uh, college applicants They run the gamut from uh, being extremely gifted to being uh, either average or even below average. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, my experience of working with them can be equally gratifying uh, wherever they are on the spectrum. But uh, what we have, every one of them comes to me with a feeling that they can't do this work. And the work that I'm talking about is to write a 650-word essay that will make them stand out in the mind of that very busy reader. So uh, we uh, that work has alerted me to a, a kind of a range of problems. I've also published a book uh, following that first book called Having the Last Say, mm-hmm. uh, which is about capturing your legacy in one small story. That's aimed at older people who want to do a life review exercise that they can share with people in their lives or uh, even be read at their own memorial service, and it's the same kind of... 650-word essay that's uh, capturing an ethical value by which they have been living. And and so I've been really in the trenches with people who are lay writers, you know. Uh, they come to me with uh, concerns about that they don't have anything to say or they don't know how to say it or they've been told that they're not good at saying it. And uh, my book, my current book, Seven Steps to Confident Writing, is really kind of to undo these uh, negative feelings about writing to show writing uh, as something that's really can be a lifelong learning experience and um, is full of, uh, you know, methods that will make writing easier for people.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I know you talk quite a bit about in the book is about not being judgmental in the early stages. And I know Anne Lamott has said you need to have you need to just go ahead and create a shitty first draft. (laughs) So can you talk a bit about that, about not being overly critical? Because, well, I'll let you speak. Well, you know, that's connected to
1: what I was just saying about people often being told that they didn't write well, you know. So if I go into a room of people, which I often do in libraries and so forth, and say, you know, how many of you think you write well? Virtually no hands go up. Um, you know, many of us have been told this by people who are not very good at teaching writing, I'm sorry to say, and, and so we regard writing negatively. Um, you know, in this respect, we're not that different from, you know, being told you don't sing well or that you're not, you don't move well, you're not a good athlete, you know. Everyone should be able to enjoy music, everyone should be able to enjoy sports, and everybody should be able to enjoy writing. So being overly critical of your writing is is very much at odds with that goal. And 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 you don't have to be overly critical with yourself because the real reality is that plenty of people will be out, out there will be critical of what you produce. <laughs> so you know, don't, don't do it to yourself.
0: Right. Right.
1: And and I always you know in all of my books, these three books I've written about writing, I have a short section about reviews that Great books have received that were terrible, you know, from Lolita to, you know, Leaves of Grass. You know, and it's kind of a mm-hmm. funny section.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things that uh, comes up for people, I think, is there. There seems to be a kind of difference between writing and editing. And feel free to disagree with me, but this this has been my experience. I love writing, but I hate editing. <laughs> Well, So, and, and usually there's, people are better at one than the other. Is that, you, have you found that or is that completely bogus? I don't, I don't
1: separate those two things, Ursula. I think of editing as being, you know, an absolutely integral part of writing. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to help people become self editors. Uh, and, you know, that's not an easy thing to learn how to do, but it's certainly something that you you can work at learning and become better at it. Uh, I I always talk about the joy of rewriting, you know? For me, writing is all about rewriting. It's about polishing and and, uh, molding and making something better. And when I work with these uh, young people who are applying to colleges, many of whom are, um, I say in the preface to my new book, you know, one of my motivations for writing this book was because I work with so many uh, STEM students. And um, and so they, um, you know, really are, don't have any p- professed, you know, overt interest in writing when they come to see me. I mean, it's something that they've been having to do in school, but it's not something that they love. Uh, when they work with me, they, they see the amount of attention that goes into writing. They, we go through six, seven drafts of, of a 650 word essay. And it, it really excites them because um, they're actually people who want, uh, they, they love exactitude, you know? they love they love structure they love making something as good as it can be but they haven't really had that experience around writing so much so that editing function that they are involved with collaboratively becomes quite thrilling to them
0: hmm. well and uh, i i guess that it, i mean as as you develop something it's it's going to feel more on target it's going to be better able to express what you're trying to express? Do people tend to uh, get pretty excited when they see a progression of improvement like that?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, another uh, uh, aspect of what we're talking about is the fact that uh, often people have a great fear about writing because they don't understand what's going to be happening. They, they regard writing as this sort of amorphous thing that you either do well or don't do well. And and one of the um, uh, things I focus on in my book is uh, is the uh, process of drafting, you know? Uh, This is not an amorphous thing. It's something that has a pathway, you know? So I describe what goes on in the first draft, you know? I describe what goes on in the second draft. And, uh, you know, that in one draft, we might be focusing more on structure. As we move (laughs) along, we focus more on point of view or tone. And, you know, then we get into the polishing, um, piece of the work, you know? So that lends the whole process a, uh, a form.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, can you talk a little bit more about that, about writing the process of writing a first, second, and third draft? And how sure. does, how do things shift as you right. progress? So, uh,
1: you know, each of these drafts would have an identifiable goal. Uh, when I work with a student or an adult, uh, I, and I added a piece of work. I always send back two files. One is a fully tracked file that shows every single change I've made. And these, have, of course, are proposed changes because I say it's collaborative. That's the first thing I tell people. <laughs> you know, we're in this together. I'm not right. Uh, you're not ro- wrong. You know, you can correct me. We'll, we'll, we'll work it out together. You know, But when I send back a fully tracked file, it shows everything that I think, you know, is an issue or could be improved or I have improved. I also at the same time send back a uh, a, a file that only has the comments. So those comments point toward the next big pieces of work that we have to do, you know. Look at your transition here, that's not working. Uh, You have not uh, followed, uh, you, you know, you haven't kept tracking in mind so the reader doesn't know where he or she is at that particular point in your essay. So there are issues like that that I focus on. So the first draft is you know basically about structure. A lot of people, a lot of not uh, people who are not experienced writers, um, are under the assumption that everything that they do has to be linear, you know? They'll just put it out like little toy soldiers one after another, <laughs> and, um, and that's the, the way they think it should be done. I might say to them, you know, look what happens to your story if you start at the end and then work your way backwards. And they go, Oh my, my goodness, that's really, uh, that's interesting, you know? And, uh, and it's going to be more interesting for the reader. So we focus on the structural issues in the first draft, usually in the second draft as well. Um, in the second draft, we also, um, uh, start thinking about issues about, you know, tone by tone. I mean, you know, are, it, does it feel, too informal? Is it sort of too jargony? Or is it feel too, too formal, too stuffy? You know, uh, uh, is the reason that it feels stuffy is because you're using a lot of passive constructions, let's say. Um, The third draft, we start thinking about, you know, okay, we've got the architecture here in place. But you know, I'm not sure the point is coming across of this piece, you know, and that's something um, that that we really have to take into account because um, one of the things I, I, I mentioned right at the beginning of the book is that, you know, writing is a contract. And, and, you know, it's a contract with your reader and it's a contract with yourself. And I can talk more about that in a moment. But uh, the contract with the... One of the uh, aspects of the contract with the reader is uh, in addition to, you know, respecting their time and, you know... Uh, um, Observing brevity um, is is uh, to leave the reader with uh, an insight or a uh, something that uh, helps that person see the world in a better way or gives that person some valuable advice or whatever your mission was. That the point is the thing that the per- that the reader will be taking away from that experience. So that's one of the things we focus on in the drafts, and then. Towards the end of that process, maybe in the fourth or fifth draft, we are just polishing it to a fine turn. Uh, I call that chapter lapidary work, Mm -hmm. using that jewelry term, you know. Everything has to be perfect, as perfect as we can make it, which is unfortunately imperfect, but we'll try to get as close as we can.
0: So uh, just to take up take you up on that last uh the seventh step do the lapidary work which you describe in your book uh, seven steps to confident writing so the the lapidary work how does that um when you say exactitude something you mention in the book around that is that something that you think uh beyond just accuracy uh does it lend itself well to Presenting yourself in an authentic way or can it get so highly uh, Refined that you're kind of losing your voice. How do you retain your voice while doing that kind of work?
1: Yeah, I I don't think the two things are in conflict at all. Uh, I think that you know And and, you know you're you're wise to talk about uh, authentic voice. That's a really critical thing in writing and it's you know something that I'm particularly attuned to when I'm working with with these high school students because uh, obviously uh, uh, I don't want them to sound like um, a man of my age, you know. <laughs> right. so, uh, we are very attentive to that, and anytime I put in any kind of writing, I always say, you know, it's only to get you to a place. You have to then take that thing I've just written and totally translate it into your own voice, which they do. However. Um, so, so we want to hold on to the to the authentic voice and one of the things that I uh, discuss in the book is how to um, determine your authentic voice so there's a section in which I encourage people to do a kind of diagnostic exercise in which they uh, I, I have a whole list of descriptors uh, things words like uh, are you perceived by other people as um, 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 formal or ironic or or um, um, whimsical or, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of them, you know. How do you <laughs> think people hear you? And uh, it's an interesting exercise to take. Uh, and, you know, I encourage people to do that exercise with the people around them and say, you know, describe the way I sound. So then you begin to become aware of of the tone that has kind of worked for you in life. We, we assume it works for you. If it doesn't, you might want to change that, that authentic voice. You know. <laughs> right. But, uh, assuming that you have an authentic voice that does sort of work for you, then when you get to the point at, and you're using that voice in your work, and of course, uh, you know, let's, let's be clear. I mean, you know, you don't always have a hundred percent of your authentic voice in, um, uh, in what you are being asked to write. So if you're writing, uh, you, you know, a, um, a speech for some organization or something like that, you you might have to temper your voice a bit. But um, essentially, um, I'm digressing a little bit here. I hope you don't mind. But no, you
0: know,
1: that's okay. I- one of the things that I uh, the example I give for this is that uh, during uh, uh, you know a considerable phase of my career, I wrote. Uh, marketing materials, communication materials for higher education. Mm -hmm. So I would write um, 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 recruitment materials, such as, you know, brochures that people pick up when they go to colleges on college visits. And then I would also write fundraising materials for that were aimed at alumni. Uh, You might think that those uh, two um, uh, areas would have a totally different voice, but in fact, uh, I, I use my, my authentic voice for those, um, both of those instances. Uh, I have a, 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 a kind of a warm conversational vo- voice in my writing. People tell me that's one of the reasons why they like these books. And I use that voice in, in both uh, the recruitment and the um, uh, fundraising area. Uh, of course, I, 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 I finessed them so they didn't sound the same but the essence of them were the same and they work just as well in both. Uh, both
0: mm-hmm. Well, and if you're, I mean, representing a similar organization or the same organization, you want that kind of consistency of a voice on a fundamental level, even if the, the, uh, the, the details right. have changed. Yeah. Well, that's something yeah,
1: much fundraising as, as I'm sure everybody knows uh, relies a lot on fundraising jargon, you know, about potential and yeah, you know, all these words that are, sort of gassy words, you know, and uh, you don't need those, you know, and mm-hmm. you don't really want those, but get back to your original question. You know, so you have your authentic voice and you hold on to that. And then when you get into that lapidary phase, you, you, you know, you keep that authentic voice, but you're still aware of the things that need to be done at that point, which are, which is a lot of pruning, taking away unnecessary adverbs, unnecessary adjectives, both of which I'm not great fans of. Uh, I could talk about more that more of you wish. Uh, 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 avoiding qualifiers, words like really, like very, um, you know, avoiding repetition, uh, you know, avoiding kind of dithering expressions like it seems or I think, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than just saying what you want to say.
0: Right. Well, one of the things, I mean, this is kind of, I guess, tangential to what you're saying about adverbs and and other descriptor-type aspects of what you're saying, but one of the steps in your book is revel in the amazing, expandable, elastic, and evolving sentence. And for someone who, people who are writers tend to love language and finding that perfect word or phrase. So is that something that people can cultivate as a non-writer? Is that part of what you meant by that, or is there more to it?
1: Yeah, no, I... So I'm a sentence geek, as you could tell from reading that book, right. and uh, the the whole um, the the whole uh, mechanism of a sentence excites me. Uh, so one of the things I want to do is convey that to to the less experienced writer, and you know I talk about things like the fact that sentences have rhythm, a rhythm to them. You know they have sort of a uh, for me, they're like a wave and they have a natural crest and then they come down, you know And then they pull out and then another one comes in uh, So I want to people to be aware of that kind of feeling of, of movement in sentences uh, and then uh, I, I in, the, in that section I talk about the, the idea of a varying uh, sentence uh, of using various sentence structure, you know, so that um, uh, some are more complex than others. I lay out because a lot of people have forgotten or maybe have never successfully learned that there are different kinds of sentences. You know, there are simple sentences, there are compound sentences, there are complex sentences. What are those and how can you mix them up?
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, um, part of the, something you've touched on already a few times is writing for marketing, and that's something that um, the podcast listeners tend to be involved with. Um, sure. And, and so marketing, to me, is, is so much about telling stories, which is also one of the seven steps in your book. Can you talk a little bit about how you can convey a story effectively?
1: Right. So, uh, yeah, one of the chapters of my book is, is uh, called Tell Stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, uh, what I pr- do in that section is to promote the power of storytelling. I talk about how storytelling, you know, can help infuse life and energy into uh, all kinds of writing assignments. Uh, First in that chapter, I lay out what the elements of a story or a narrative are. Uh, I don't have to go through those, but um, I kind of distill it to four elements so that people at least have the base understanding of, you know, this is a tool that I could learn how it's like a form, you know, like the. A golf swing is a form, or a dance move is a form. Narrative has a form, and if you understand that, you can start to use it. So, uh, in terms of marketing, yes, obviously, uh, um, telling a story in a, uh, in a in a marketing context, whether it's in a brochure, whether it's in an ad, um, that's very powerful. But even something like a letter to an editor, for instance, I give an example of somebody who. Um, wants to write about a wonderful, uh, I think it's about a, a high school concert that this person has attended, and he writes a letter to the editor praising it and um, talking about why people should support that program in the schools. So there's one version which is just basically head on, sort of like I went to a concert and it was great and you should, you, you should, you should um, uh, support that. The second version, I show how, you know, we bring in these elements of a narrative. Uh, we set the stage. We talk about uh, uh, seeing these, these students on the stage and, you know, uh, seeing them in their in their outfits and watching the way they hold their instruments or whatever it is, you know, we have a sense of, of, of story in that, uh, at the beginning of that letter and that hooks people, you know? And that's what you, that's one of the things that, um, you have to do in every writing assignment, you have to hook somebody because we're so, we are so, um, uh, our attention is so diverted in so many ways that, um, it's one of the biggest challenges for writers to just grab the person.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, to speak to that in, in terms of, uh, I guess the first step that you talk about in the book, which is see the big picture. You talk about developing a relationship or, uh, having the audience in mind as you're writing.
1: Exactly. Yes. So I think that's one of the most useful things in the book actually is the, is, is bringing an awareness to less experienced writers that this is something that they will be writing for somebody. Uh, And even if it's uh, for yourself, um, you know, let's imagine you're keeping a journal Uh, obviously that, Sense is is diminished, but it's still. I, I think even in that situation, it's still there. Somebody might read this at some point. You might want to share this at some point, but certainly in in um, in every other area uh, of writing, you know, you have to keep in mind that this is something that somebody will read. Um, so I give an example, for instance, of writing a, a letter of disgruntlement to a motel uh, where you've had a really bad night. And, you know, rather than um, uh, just screaming in your letter, you know, how furious you are, you might, you know, sort of think in mind that this is a person who's going to be reading this. How's that person going to receive it? And how can you make a connection with that person so that it will actually be read in a way that that person can absorb it? A simple, uh, a simple example, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I go through a number of ways in which, you um, You know, people fall short in terms of connecting with their readers, you know, whether they are, um, you know, insecure and they uh, don't really know how to make that connection, Uh, whether um, their tone is inexact or inaccessible, kind of cold or something. And then I talk about how you can visualize your reader by asking questions about who the person is that's going to be reading this piece of work that you've done. Is it gonna be an older person? Is it gonna be a younger person? Somebody who's informed, somebody who doesn't know about what you're writing about, somebody who is affluent, somebody who isn't, somebody who's educated, somebody who isn't. Who is the person that's going to be reading this thing you're writing?
0: Yeah, that's so helpful because you could there's many, many ways to say something and be saying it in a way that people can relate to you're meeting them where you are, where they right. are rather. And that's
1: in right. that section of the book where I talk about, you know, making this connection to the reader. That's also where I kind of expand on this idea of the contract with the reader, Mm -hmm. where I talk about the the six C's, the six things that start with C that you're going to keep in mind. Clarity. You're going to really make this as clear as possible. Conciseness. Construction. Is this a well-crafted piece of work? Is the structural work in place? Color. Have you, uh, does it feel flat? or is it engaging in terms of your, of your uh, language? Courtesy, are you uh, kind of yelling at the reader or are you uh, taking the reader's feelings into account? And commitment, are you doing as, as much of a, of a um, have, you, have you devoted as much um, attention and energy and uh, to this piece as you possibly can? And there's also a, a contract that the writer makes with himself or herself, you know? to To work at this thing with rigor, you know that's the that's the absolute um, core principle of of your contract with yourself, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we haven't talked much about, and uh, something that I think non writers in particular are really interested in, is. What, how do you deal with some of the problems that interfere with writing? And I, I know procrastination is one that pops up, but there are a few others, too. Cause could you speak a little bit to those?
1: Well, from my experience working with tons and tons of people, I would say procrastination is probably about you know 90, 90% of the problem. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, it's interesting because... Uh, as a little aside, you know, you hear so much about, you know, the death of the written word and how students are, you know, they're not learned to write anymore. And of, of, you know, I've worked with thousands of students already, you know, and I, and I, what strikes me as very, very interesting is the fact that of those thousands of people, I would say I've had a handful of them who I felt like, wow, this person could really become a writer, you know, Mm-hmm. This, this person has just great, great natural talent. Uh, similarly, I've had a handful, really, maybe, I don't, can't think of more than 10 students I've had who I feel like, ay, 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 how am I going to get out of this, you know? Uh, <laughs> if this person really is, is, uh, doesn't even know where to start. Everybody else is in the vast middle, right? So um, that is an interesting thing to think about. Um, tell me your question again, because I, I, I wandered here.
0: Yeah, that's okay. But the main problems that people deal with in yeah, yeah, right. In so group, procrastination.
1: Right? So obviously, uh, the first thing that I talk about in terms of procrastination is that writing is really a, a largely about fear. Uh, that that's a big ingredient of the writing process. I don't know any writers who don't experience uh some element of fear when they sit down to uh, a blank page or a blank screen because you know what we're doing with writing is we're trying to get vision and execution to line up and that is is not an easy thing for anybody uh when i think about these students i work with having to sit down and write a 650 word essay that counts for such so much in uh about something that's deeply personal and that has to be beautifully pulled off why wouldn't they be afraid i'm i'm afraid when i sit down to do something like that you know Mm -hmm. so we have to take fear as being part of the baseline and and just just you know take a deep breath and live with it Uh, but then there are things that you can do uh and and i say you know uh, we all have our little habits to get started you know Whether it's vacuuming, whether it's taking a dog for the walk or, you know, doing a little uh, jumping jacks or whatever you do. You know, that's fine. When you get sort of stuck in the procrastination mode, then there are other things that you can try to do with yourself. One of the most useful, I think, is to set yourself a quota. Uh, And it can be uh, a quota that you feel you can live up to. You have to write a thousand words for something. Give yourself a hundred words today to get started. Don't don't leave until you have hundred words. I will get there, and I will stop at a hundred words, and I will feel good about myself because I set out to do what I what I did, what what I said I I did what I set out to do. <laughs> uh, maybe it's not going to be good tomorrow morning, and that'll be a little painful. But pain is part of writing, also. Um, a- another thing we can do in terms of uh, procrastination is that we can. Um, um, you know, give our, give ourselves rewards. Uh, you know, if, we, if we've had um, a hard day uh, and we've gotten something done, do something you enjoy afterwards, you know,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: basically, um, you know, what I'm talking about is, is kind of uh, really um, allowing yourself to, to understand that this is, this is tough work. Uh, and, you um, you know, just, just give yourself that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just acknowledging that can help, help you overcome. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as our um, uh, last question, before we get to the wrap around, I'm really curious about how you see the impact of working with non-writers because you've written many books, actually you've written a number of novels, you've written several non-fiction books about writing. And um, how, how do you, see the impact of this work that you're doing with non-writers?
1: Well, I see it. I mean, personally, for me, it's enormously gratifying because uh, for me, I see it opening up a a window for people and and helping them understand the world better and helping them understand themselves better. So uh, when a student has successfully gone through the experience of writing something deeply personal and deeply intimate about themselves, I feel like they have made a step towards the kind of um, self-awareness and self-realization that is our lifelong work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I gave them a a tool to start doing that.
0: Yeah, I know that you talk in the book about writing being a practice of self-improvement, so that that sounds like how you see it as ability to understand yourself better and
1: that's right i mean writing is communication it's expression Mm -hmm. and you know maybe above all it's connection you know Mm -hmm. where when we're able to successfully write something we can make a very powerful connection with other people and that becomes very important if we're let's say involved in a cause that we strongly believe in and we want to promote that cause being able to write meaningfully about that is just there's just one good example of how you can feel better, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alan, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions. Are you ready?
1: I'm nervous but ready.
0: <laughs> you can do this. Um, you've already, you've actually already touched on a number of these things. So wh- the first question is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact?
1: Uh, the biggest thing I've learned about impact is that we all have impacts on each other's lives. I, I find that I have an impact, such as I've described, by sharing something that I'm pretty good at. But, you know, there's uh, the psychologist, uh, uh, Irv Yalom, who's uh, written a lot about um, death and dying,
0: mm-hmm.
1: talks about something called the ripple effect. And he says, one of the ways to sort of assuage uh, the fears that we have about dying is to think about how our presence has rippled out onto other people, you know? And I think, you know, if people take a moment to think about that uh, and think about the ways that they've been able to do that, it's, it's really very uh, deeply gratifying. And if you can't think of any ways that you've done that, then you can also start thinking about ways that maybe you can do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that ripple effect, mm, it's great. What's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most?
1: Well, Ursula, I'm a hard worker, you know. I I don't give up on things. Uh, You mentioned that I had a very writing career. You don't know half of it, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I've written everything from soap opera to uh, a book about a multiple murder on my road up here in the small town that I live in.
0: I saw. saw. uh,
1: At at desperate straits in my life, uh, I wrote a book about uh, uh, (laughs) hairstyling. I have been. I'm kind of an idiot savant when it comes to writing. So you give me something, and I do it. And so uh, my my way uh, was was working hard. I would say Mm,
0: that's great. Mm. Last question is: What's one insider piece of advice? that you'd share with somebody who's saying, I want to have more impact. I want to contribute more. What would you say to them?
1: I like to share with people in my life and people who are listening the, I I think one of the best things you can do for yourself is not to be harsh on yourself, to give yourself room to uh, feel good about yourself so you can help others feel good about themselves. Um, You know, being hard on yourself is just, counterproductive in every
0: respect. Mm, I love that. That's great. Yeah, there's a merit to gentleness. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, Alan, thank you so much for sharing what you have today. I know that many people kind of despair when they have to enter into a writing uh, process and your book, um, Seven Steps to Confident Writing and our conversation today, I think is going to be really helpful to them. So thank you for, for sharing your own experiences and what you've learned along the way.
1: Well, thanks so much for allowing me to do that, Ursula.
0: My pleasure. So uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Uh, Easiest way is to go to my website, which is alangill.com.
0: Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you again, Alan, for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.